This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm ready. But hey, you ready to get on to Minute number 28? Let's do it. Let's do it. In the previous minute, the tour group passed by the Jurassic Park Genetics Lab and got to see how the fertilization process was carried out. As the minute ended, the tour group passed through a section as Grant asked, How do you interrupt a cellular mitosis? At minute 28, Ellie spins around in her chair and asks Hammond if they can see the unfertilized eggs. Hammond tells her shortly. Grant asks Hammond if he can stop the presentation. Hammond tells them that it's sort of a ride. Malcolm gives them a one, two, three countdown, and they all together raise the restraints. Ellie, Grant, and Malcolm all get up and step off of the ride, much to Hammond's dismay. Gennaro asks, they can't do that, can they? At 28.20, we cut to a shot of the inside of the lab as a geneticist is looking at models of DNA on a computer screen. The camera pans right to show the tour group entering through an airlock, with Hammond leading the way. A voiceover can be heard saying, The boat for the mainland will be leaving at 1900. All personnel better be at the dock no later than 1845. No exceptions. At 2833, we see Dr. Henry Wu. Hammond greets him. Dr. Wu says, Good day, sir. Grant and Ellie look around the laboratory as Dr. Wu erases something from his chart. Grant sees something and slowly walks over to a robotic arm that is rotating eggs. At 2856, Dr. Wu notices something as well and steps forward. Perfect timing, he says. Ellie and Grant grow wide-eyed as an egg begins to hatch. Dr. Wu adds, I'd hoped that they'd hatch before I had to go to the boat. Hammond chimes in with, Henry, why didn't you tell me? And thus ends minute number 28 of Jurassic Park. So we get to see in this minute, and we talked about him a little bit in the last episode, and we're going to talk about him a little bit more in the next couple of episodes, and then I don't think we're going to mention him again, but he's a character who was huge in the book, was in Jurassic World, and really is only a minor character in this, but he's got a huge influence in the movie, and that's, of course, Dr. Henry Wu, played by B.D. Wong. That's right, yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the more interesting characters in the entire oh, absolutely. Uh, franchise. Um, I mean, if you just watch this guy, uh, how confident he is, and how he does know everything that he's talking about, and yet... All of the mistakes that he is overlooking are what, you know, make this entire, the entire story unfold. Uh, Yeah, but, you know, he's got that, uh, it's hubris, is his his folly. His folly is his own ego. He's, Mm -hmm. He's taking shortcuts because he is a genius and he's entitled to that, but at the same time, uh, he's ethically he's overlooking a lot of stuff and the, the shortcomings in what he's trying to do to get to from point A to point B quicker mm-hmm. in doing that he's endangering people by doing stuff because we know that there was actually another character in the book and I believe uh, her name was let me pull it up real quick if I can get by this Final Fantasy commercial that popped up on my phone uh, let's see her character's name was Dr. Laura Sorkin and Laura Sorkin was the slow and steady and safe approach to the to the uh, dinosaur DNA stuff. Now, as right. we know in the book, uh, InGen purchased almost all of the amber in the world, all of the existing amber. Yeah, and they were com- they were pulling out all the mosquitoes they could so they could try to make complete dinosaur DNA chains. Well, Dr. Sorkin said, "Let's go ahead and get all of that data together, stick it in the computer, and then we'll make sure that we have a full dinosaur." Where Henry Wu came along and said, "No, no, 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 we're going to stick frog DNA in there." Yeah. and of course that shortcut is what leads to the dinosaur dinosaurs being able to change genders and breed with each other on the island. So that is that uh, little 
overlook on his part mm-hmm. to try that shortcut. That is the chaos theory that ends up killing a whole bunch of people because uh, raptors get off the island. Right. Or, you know, and see, the, the, the whole thing, the scenario involving Dr. Sorkin, I would have loved to have seen played out of the movie. Now, again, a movie is the kind of thing that you just, you have to scrap anything that is going to keep the film from moving along. And that novel is unfilmable. Uh, because it's big. It's huge. It's got a lot of big it's ideas. So, yeah, yeah, it's so dense. And, uh, and that's probably why Dr. Wu isn't as big a character in the film as he was in the book is because a lot of the things involving him are just monologues and yeah. uh, a lot of science talk. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and things that are just not, you know, we can wrap up in a, in a two-second little tour film involving a cartoon character um, as opposed to just having scene upon scene upon scene of him talking about it. Uh, again, as some that, that is the thing that interests me more than Dinosaurs Chasing People, but this movie isn't just for me. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's uh, you know a, a contemporary summer blockbuster action movie from director Steven Spielberg. People ex- expect an amount of uh, people don't, running from Dilophosaurus. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that none of that stuff is in this movie. It mm-hmm. is. It totally is. Um, it's a very intellectual film, uh, but it's you know, I don't know. I, I just would have loved to have seen the the book filmed. Yeah, I, I really would as well because I, I love the book so much. It was so huge and grand in its scope that there was nothing about this movie that disappointed me at all because like we've said several times, there's flubs all over this movie. You don't catch them because it rockets right. by. It's got such a great pace and you're never bored for a single second or a single frame of the entire film. It's so much fun. But yeah, it would have been really cool if they made the book. You know, they tried to spread out like aspects from the book, like the aviary showed up in Jurassic mm-hmm. Park 3. Yeah, which I thought it worked. Yeah, uh, and there were a couple other things they threw in there in Jurassic Park 3, but it was, um, it's cool what we got, I guess, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And for someone who likes to sit around and bicker about the fact that we didn't get enough Dr. Wu in this movie and everything, well, guess what? You got plenty of him in Jurassic World. Very cool that he showed back Very up. Very cool. What yeah. a cool idea um, of Colin Trevorrow's to bring back uh, Dr. Wu. So, uh, B.D. Wong, do you have a little bit of information on, on how he got the, the role? I actually want to get into that more in the next minute. Sure, yeah. But, uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, well, we got a little bit into uh, the character of Dr. Wu here on this. And, you know, like you said, he's he's got a lot of lines over the next couple episodes. I'm going to spread that out. But uh, he was, of course, the chief geneticist of Jurassic Park, he was able to save InGen a lot of money by using frog DNA to fill in the gene sequence gaps in the dinosaur DNA. And he is from Ohio. Uh, and it looks like he was a... He had an undergrad paper at MIT that apparently caught John Hammond's attention. That's how he became the chief geneticist. Well, that... Yeah. And he uh, impressed the board by saving them some money. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. fills in a lot with the John Hammond character from the, yeah. fil- from, from the book rather than from the film. Exactly. Because so, this one likes to spare no expense. Uh, so where are you getting that information? From? I'm getting that. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. I'm getting that from uh, the Jurassic Park Wikia. So that's jurassicpark.wikia.com. Of course, that's one source that is quick for you and I to go to to gather all this yeah. information together. And we're just trying to repeat some of the stuff they've done over there. So the guys over at uh, jurassicpark.wikia.com. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're probably very familiar mm-hmm. with it. But uh, we're getting a lot of our information from there, you as well spend... as our recall from the film and the books. But yeah. You're saying? Oh, uh, no. Just, I mean, it's easy to spend a lot of time on that website. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, one of those um, like the the TV tropes website where you can just like jump down a hole. But uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about these eggs real quick because we got to see the robot arm twisting the eggs. Now, uh, so the eggs apparently in the book uh, was nothing but uh, a yolk that was grown from in a laboratory. So they didn't have the eggs. The eggs were not ostrich or emu eggs in the book. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Yeah, they were uh, artificial eggs. So. Uh, but in the movie, yeah, there were our ostrich and emu eggs used, and it's a it's a really cool 
sequence when they actually see these eggs at first grant just kind of looks at him and he's like kind of slowly looking at him camera pans to the right and we see the eggs take center of the screen he and ellie go and they see the eggs start to hatch there at the end of the minute yeah so i want to talk a little bit about something i noticed while watching the beginning of of this minute i don't know why i'm only noticing it when i watch this but at no point in this movie does it feel expensive to me and and yet it does but when you look around look at the the number of sets that you see we're always going back to like the same locations yeah we've got the control room we've got the genetics laboratory we've got the rotunda uh and then you know being out in the park which is like okay let's go find a pretty section of uh forest and jungle that works here we go right but at no point when it feels like such an expensive such a lavish movie but when i'm really like watching a minute by minute and studying like this i'm i'm not seeing Anywhere that the, a ton of money would have gone to. Yeah. And granted, you get the Visitor Center Rotunda, which is beautiful, but I mean, that's not the most lavish set I've ever seen. Right. You know? Well, it's cool because the scale of the movie, shooting in Hawaii. Now, shooting in Hawaii is expensive. You got to fly your crew and your oh, equipment I'm sure out there. A lot of the budget went there, yeah. But. You set the camera up, and the landscape is so gorgeous. You're filling it with the stuff. It doesn't cost anything to shoot a mountain with a camera. You know, you could shoot yeah. a small forest, you know, with the same amount of film. I mean, of course, you need to put some expensive lenses on there and get a really good DP to get to the full beauty of it. But some of the scope of this film is just from the natural beauty of Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we got to give a shout out to, to Dean Cundy, the cinematographer of Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, beautiful movie. I think some of that uh, might have been Spielberg withholding, I don't want to say withholding the budget, but pulling things back after he had learned such a good lesson on Hook. Uh, like we said, with his just sort of over-priming it. And in this film, right. he was going to hold back all the takes. As we've said endlessly, um, if you look at the production design of Hook, I mean, it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's Hook is insane. Hook is insane. And in, on a lot of levels, Hook yeah, is insane. It really is. And so um, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe this was a case where Spielberg just said, like, okay, we kind of went overboard there. Let's, let's learn a lesson and let's just pull it back. How Steven Spielberg went from Hook to making Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same year. Yeah. I've, I've heard some stories. I've heard that... At a premiere of Hook, Steven Spielberg left the theater and went out in his limousine because he was like, oh, God, I made a bad movie. And, and then, then be- and because of that, he was driven yeah. to make both Jurassic Park. In and, one year. In one year. In Jurassic Park, it's funny because you know, we said again and again that uh, it kind of had this lax production style to a degree. Uh, then that's why we kind of ended up with so many flubs in the movie. But at the same time, it really did kind of create an environment that was kind of magical. Everybody looks like they're having a really fun time, you know. But no, one last thing I want to get uh, get onto is we hear um, the announcement coming over the loudspeaker, reminding everyone to get to the mainland, to get to right. the shuttle that's going to take them to the mainland by such and such hour. Um, I think this is a really cool tool that's used to up the uh, claustrophobic feel of this movie it starts the clock ticking it starts the yeah. clock ticking it reminds you that this movie is going to take place over a very short span of time like a day and a half or two two and a half days something like that and that's just a really cool way to i don't know keep yeah like you said keep the clock ticking and uh it's also cool you know that we come back to later and find out that was uh sam jackson's voice we were hearing yeah, and of course, Sam Jackson plays Ray Arnold, kind of the uh, systems administrator, operations director over there at Jurassic Park. He's the one that keeps making those announcements when the storm starts coming. He's like, hey, everybody, timetable's been moved up. Drop what you're doing and get to the boat right now. Yeah. He um, 
so this is kind of a screenwriting technique. The the ticking clock, uh, when you want to make something seem more tense than it actually is, you put an arbitrary, or you create uh, something for the environment. You, you up the stakes with some sort of natural disaster type event, right? Like, so the hurricane or the storm is bearing down on the island. Well, you got to get to this boat so the boat can get out of here on time. Now there's a time limit that you're under. And even though we just kind of hear that, that's the first little inkling we get of some other thing happening, right? Yeah. The chaos of the whole thing. Then in a minute we get to see that okay you know Muldoon's on the phone with the uh, the island uh, weather you know advisory saying like okay yeah it's coming here's the storm then we cut to the lightning hit crashing outside uh, when they're with the triceratops so all these things start to add up but they're planting the seed right now hearing like hey guys there's some sort of time thing going on here yeah and even though you don't really pay attention to it you hear it yeah it sticks in your mind a little bit the stakes are upped in just a little bit and this. The beginning of this through the sequence uh, at the Tyrannosaurus paddock where the car goes over the side, I think, is a really masterfully done section of movie where the ticking clock is just kind of subtly going on mm-hmm. until the yeah. rain starts and then it's everything's ramped up. So yeah. it reminds yeah. me of uh, the rain in this movie also kind of reminds me of the rain in uh, Shutter Island. Did you see Shutter Island? Yeah, I did. I loved I it. I really liked Shutter Island, but the rain and the storm is kind of a, another character or presence on the island. Mm, and I kind of I felt in Jurassic that. Park yeah. it was the same way. It just kind of like takes a bad situation and just uh, completely turns it on 10. And so. you know what's interesting, too, is we're talking about this ticking clock thing. You've got your ticking clock with uh, the you know, the storm setting in and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And then you get another ticking clock uh, halfway through the movie, which is Nidri literally trying to yes, beat the 18-minute yeah. window that he yeah. has. Well, I think um, that actually all kind of happens in the same uh, section of time, doesn't it? Or the Nidri thing, does that happen after? No, no, it's going on while the Tyrannosaurus yeah. stuff is happening because that's why the electricity goes down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so you you've know, got his... It, yeah. So, but, that, but you're right, that is happening at the same time. That's how they continue that clock along. It keeps mm-hmm. ticking, it keeps things moving. The pace is, st- is, is up. Which Stakes is just throwing off our you know, ability to, uh, I don't know, keep up with this ticking clock. And all of a sudden we get another one thrown, right? You know, I don't know. It's just the, the, yeah, the stakes the, are ramped up. The stakes, stakes are, are ramped, ramped up. up. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, it's, it's a simple little thing that you can do in writing. It's that none of that had to be uh, computer animated with dinosaurs ch- trace, chasing anybody down or anything. You just, yeah, exactly. you know, turn the sprinklers on, uh, on the set and you, uh, you know, just kind of put this, this clock in the background and things seem more tense. So it's very yeah. cool. Very cool. And it works. One last thing I want to mention. Yeah. And I, I hate pointing out, flubs and movies but i'm gonna do it anyway because i'm sure it's almost impossible to miss it's uh bd wong's first shot where the camera's kind of rotating around him and he, he's writing on a pad and he turns on and says oh you know hello he Good looks day, sir. Yeah. right into the camera oh does he yes. really and it happens again <laughs> later with sam jackson but he looks directly into the camera for like half a second if but, i was um, an actor i'd be doing it all the time it's like at the end of uh, peewee's big adventure where they're doing the movie about Pee Wee Herman, and he's the <laughs> extra in the background. He's constantly just like stepping between the actors and staring down the camera lens. That movie is so funny. Oh my I'm God. I'm telling you. Well, that's all I've got for this. Yeah, that's all I've got too. And we will see you tomorrow for minute number 29. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And we're here to tell you until next time hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at Patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pele Media and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Pele Media. Yeah.